Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me, the amazing and extraordinary mm. Jay Harvey. Wow. Wow. I don't want to leave. <laughs> Jay, thanks for coming alongside. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate that. The room is always better when you're in it because most people who listen to Viewpoint do not realize yeah. that Jay Harvey started out his adult life as a stand-up comedy oh, guy. I true. mean, he could regale the crowd that's and keep true. them laughing. I, and yes, I could. I still can. It's just a matter of you know what what really pays the bills, Jim. And so oh, I you see. know it's and there's that whole Jesus thing that called me in a little bit different direction. I know, so. but you're still engaging the crowd, Thank and you. we're so yes. glad that you're engaging our listening crowd with us today, Jay. Thanks Thank for you. joining us. And I know that our guest today is already smiling, just knowing that you're in the room. His name is Jeremy Passer. Jeremy, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. How are you guys doing today? Great, good. Jeremy. Jeremy is in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. That's the place he calls home these days, although he grew up in a farm in the southern part of the province. He's now a, a bit north of his home place in Swift Current. And uh, Jeremy also represents a vast section of Saskatchewan in the Canadian House of Commons, part of the Parliament at Parliament Hill in Ottawa. Jeremy, you are an amazing, bright voice for the future because at the age of 33, now correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, at the age of 33, you're elected to the House of Commons with 81% of the ballots cast. Is that true? Is that possible? Yeah, that is, it is true, and it is possible. I didn't think it was possible. That uh, my, my predecessor, he, he he can never quite break through that seventy percent threshold. And he told me that I was going to do it in my first crack, and I said, no, no, that's that's not going to happen. Right? All right, Just <laughs> downplayed it, and then election night came and went, and. 81%. There we are. Well, <laughs> okay. But already we've learned that politics in Canada and politics in the United States may be somewhat differentiated in that your predecessor said, you know what? 70% is, is, yeah, right. is, the, heart, is the threshold to break through. <laughs> in the United States, it's very rare yes. that someone is elected to office with a majority of that size. And here you are at 81%. And you represent the Conservative Party. Is that right? You're a Conservative MP? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And there are many different parties in Canada. I mean, yes, what, yes, five or are. six seated in the parliament. What would differentiate the Conservative Party, let's say, from the Liberals in your point of view? Yeah, for sure. The, the fiscal responsibility is definitely a, uh, a key component of, of the Conservative Party of Canada. And it'll be interesting to see how that can play out if we're able to form government after going through through COVID-19. It's, the, it's been Conservatives in the past who have worked to uh, balance the budgets and, and uh, this current government, you know, not getting too, too partisan here while we're on a podcast, but they, they ran on, oh, we're going to have a couple deficit years, but by year three, year four, we're going to have the, the, the books balanced. Well, by that year four, they were about $30 billion in, in deficit spending mode per year, not total, but per year. So they were not too concerned about balancing the books. So I'm hearing you say that one of the primary differentiations of, of the Liberal and Conservative parties, which are the largest parties uh, seated in the Commons, might be economic approaches or uh, the management of government, the fiscal issues, separate the trajectories of the parties. Yeah, that, that's a big part of it. And a lot of our, the conservative supporters are the are your 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 small town, your your small business type owners. They're the ones that who are kind of the the backbone of the of the conservative party as well. Uh, historically, we've always done very well in, in Saskatchewan, in Alberta, areas that are more driven by resources, by farming, by agriculture. So that's those are kind of more of the lifeblood of, of our party. The Liberals are more of a uh, the big urban areas, the the, the big centers big business type type party.
Jeremy, as a young man, you were just elected last fall to represent your riding. A riding is uh, equivalent to a congressional district in the states. As you were elected to go to Ottawa and represent your, your constituents, and you walked into the vast and elegant buildings on Parliament Hill, for those who have not been to Ottawa, I mean, it's a really spectacular uh, set of architecture, and it speaks so much about history and, and the legacy uh, of Canada and its future also. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like to walk in and become one of the members seated in the House of Commons. And unlike in the states where there are two houses in the legislature, the Senate and the House of Representatives, both are kind of co-equal in their voice, in the drafting of legislation and so on. In Canada, the House of Commons is really the driver. The Canadian Senate has a more deferential role. And so when you walk into the House of Commons, you're actually walking into a space and you have been given a microphone to speak consequentially about the course of the whole country. And then also how Canada conducts itself on the world stage. And it does. I mean, you're not the prime minister. You're not you're not a part of the formal government. You're, it's what's called the official opposition in the Conservative Party. But nevertheless, it's still a place of influence. I mean, just describe for us how you're putting your arms around that. I mean, is it, is it intimidating? Is it exciting? Is it like overwhelming? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, it's you, you kind of wrapped it all up there, right? I mean, it, it's you, I've kind of gone through every emotion as, as you, you could pertain to that, right? It's There was moments of first arriving there and you're in this you're in a big big city right and and just the, the size and the grandeur of everything and so that's kind of your initial reaction right but as you know I've been had the opportunity to settle into the role you know every single day it just excites me right and uh, I, I I think there are some people who have potentially lost that excitement that are still elected people right and, and I think that's really unfortunate because when you when you kind of lose that that luster and the respect for where you're at and what you are doing um, I, I think it has a negative impact, but for me personally, yeah, that excitement each and every day, it's new every day that way. And I look forward to each day being a different, you know, what, what's going to come across my desk today or what, what are the different things that we're going to, going to be working on today. And it's, there's a lot of, yeah, that excitement factor is, is really huge for me. As you go to Ottawa, practically, how does that impact your life? You are married. You have three young children. They stay in Saskatchewan, I presume, most of the time. When you go to Ottawa, where do you live? Do you have an apartment? Or do MPs move to Ottawa when they are elected? Or some do and some don't? How does that work for you? Yeah, for sure. So I, I've, got a, just, I've got an apartment that I stay in. It's about a, nah, not even a 10-minute walk to get to my to the building where my office is. And then it's just across the street from my office into the West Block where where uh, where the House of Commons is right now. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 been quite the quite the deal with with the kids and with with, with my wife. You know, I've had the kids out in Ottawa twice now, uh, so they've had a chance to experience it. It's uh, yeah, honestly, I think everybody, if they're able to, should go and explore their the nation's capital, whether in Canada, the U.S., or whatever country anybody is in. If you get a chance to, to do that, or even in your, your local state or province, to get a chance to go to where government happens, to get a chance to see it, to experience it. There's so much history. There's so much you can learn there. Yeah, it, it's, just, it's just amazing. Are there any other MPs who are younger than you are? There is. There are actually a few within the Conservative Party that are younger. I think on the government side, there's a few that there's one or two that might be in their 20s as well. So 
there are some that are quite a bit younger. Actually, the leader of our party right now, he's actually, we're going through a leadership process, so he won't be for, for much longer. But uh, his name's Andrew Shear. I think he was first elected when he was 24 years old. And uh, I don't know how old he was when he became the Speaker of the House, but at the time he was the youngest speaker in, in Canadian history as well. So uh, there's been a bit more of a youth movement over the last number of years. And uh, yeah, it's people don't frown on you if you're young, per se. Jeremy, I'm just so fascinated. You've come from a family and a small town and a farming, and you've got good foundation, and I, I hear faith in, in your story. Now you're in this position, as Jim said. Has there been something come up yet that has really made it all very real, like where you have to to maybe vote up or down on, on something that has caused you to think morally, ethically? Um, so it all kind of hits home when this moment happens. Do you have something like that's happened so far? Yeah, already at this point in time, I know right, right when COVID-19 kind of set in, we were actually going through, there was two pieces of legislation that were going through the House of Commons. Uh, one of them was on medical assistance in dying. And uh, what happened was previ the previous liber Liberal government in their last mandate had put in some legislation around it. Uh, a provincial court had had struck it down. And so now it's back. We have to re-legislate around that issue. Mm. Um, and so COVID-19 has actually kind of put that on hold. So that that is one where we, we definitely have to, you know, chart a path where, where, where what are we trying to do as parliamentarians here in regards to life? Do we cherish life till natural death? Where 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 do people fall on, on, on those kind of issues? Right, right that. Mm. And uh well, I was just going to ask Jeremy, are, are you speaking about legislation that addresses like assisted suicide or uh, enhanced death measures? That's the, the question before you? That is the question, yeah. And and basically it was it was struck down because it was too restrictive. So they're, they're looking for potential ways of expanding it. And I mean, there's been talk of all different types of it, whether it's a teenager going through through a mental health issue, would they be eligible to receive medical assistance in dying? Or does it have to specifically be confined to end of life and whatnot? And I just, I really find that it's a very, hmm. it's a tough topic to really, we, we, it's one that you can't rush, right? I mean, you really need to explore every avenue of it, make sure that every detail gets, gets gone over because if something just kind of slips through the consequences of it are, are, are big they are huge and I mean we need to make sure that we are preserving dignity in life right and that's for me personally that's where where I I stand on these kind of issues and it's something that important to me that we make sure that we are are defending life when we have the opportunity to do so well and it sounds like an ethical question of the first magnitude really I mean there are some things that will cross the desk that may not be so ethically framed. This is so obviously a question about ethical judgment, isn't it? And uh, there you are. Wow, Jeremy, that is um, certainly something that should cause everyone to to take pause. And so that, that for me, when I hear questions like that, I, I immediately go to my lens of faith and start to imagine how I would answer or how I would engage others. How does your lens inform you in these types of decisions? Yeah, you know, uh, Jesus died so we might have life that we might be able to live it live it to its fullest, right? And decisions that we are making in government sometimes has robbed people of that or that we're not 
where we're getting in the way of that happening or the fact that there are has been cases of physicians just in rather than offering care or rather than offering people palliative care just offering you know medical assistance in dying is an option for you i just the fact that that can be presented to people when that we are supposed to be ensuring that people can have have life and live it to their fullest i, th I think that is uh having having that faith background as something that that can guide an individual i think is extremely has been beneficial in this time if nothing else to make sure that a person has the ability to just just kind of pause and and just hear where we should be going on this right to just be able to take a breath and uh, and see counsel from the lord on on issues like this right and uh and just how to have that compassion that people that everybody needs everybody deserves especially when they are going through these tough times in their life right mm -hmm. and uh yeah, again, like I, like I referenced earlier, we need to be able to preserve life to its fullest. And that's a, that's a principle, Jeremy, that's born in your, in your faith walk. And uh, as you know, I, I had a brief stint in the legislature in Washington State, and I was a young guy then. But I remember thinking that I needed to be a liege to something beyond my own judgment. In other words, I, I, I have a rational mind and I can sort out facts and, and histories and arguments, but I must hold myself accountable to a standard or to a plumb line that is beyond myself to be able to really be grounded because otherwise I could be emotionally moved or even moved by a certain presentation of facts. And you have that because you have a, an allegiance, you have a... A, a backstop in the scripture that I know is important to you. Is there a passage in that scripture that is kind of a big macro picture that you, you back up to when you have to make a hard call where you say, is this consistent with this way and value of life? Is there something in the Bible that is that for you? Well, one that's, it's, it's, it's one I, I actually kind of have come across again, time and time again, uh, and it's in the, the book of Mark, chapter 12, and I think it's verses 30 and 31 there. And it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And and, and the other is like it in that this, the second line is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And and that applies in, in a broad sense of things. When we're talking about these, these, these ethical and different life issues like that, again, are we displaying the love of Christ? Do we have the fruit of the spirit and the answers that we have? And, and I believe there is room to use those in the, the political arena as well. And I, I think, you know, there's been a big move for the separation of church and state. And, and I get the arguments for that. I understand why people do that, but I think it's important to have individuals who, ha who you view the world through that lens of what is the fruit of the spirit Am I loving my neighbor as myself? And it doesn't really matter what the what the issue is. If you can apply that lens to it, I think you're going to come out with a better outcome every time. Well, and that suggests a certain integrity to your decision. And who would quarrel, really, even if they were not followers of Jesus? That truth has a certain universal appeal. And uh, to be grounded in that way, Jeremy, does provide a voice of a conscience and and I'm hearing you say that as you approach your work now, representing your writing in Saskatchewan, that you want to have a clear conscience. You, you cannot simply deliver to people what they clamor for necessarily while you have to listen to the voices of the public. In the end, you have to walk away from every day feeling like, I did the right thing. And that's measured by a verse like that. Am I catching that fairly? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's so... Uh, Wonderful, Jeremy, to 
to be able to sit and talk with you. And we're so thankful for your time and your busy schedule shared with us. And to all of us who are in the room and for anyone listening today, it causes us to stop and think about my own life. And do I have a standard of measure? Do I have a platform? Do I have a grounding that helps me navigate a complicated world that is constantly, if I think about it, throwing before me ideas? I may not be in the House of Commons. I may not be in the House of Representatives. I may not be on a city council or on a board of anything, but I still have to make moral choices. Mm. And how do I decide? Well, you can decide by pledging your life to follow God. And for us to embrace Jesus as his son and your savior, because he says he could actually give you the mind of Christ, Mm. and that will be of the highest moral order. How do you get there? I'm telling you, you can, and you can take a step that way with us right now by joining us in prayer. Just, Just take a deep breath and pray with us. Just take a chance. Even if you don't believe God exists, just take a chance and share in this prayer right now. Our Father, we're so thankful that you are and that you have spoken the world into being and it was perfect, but we know now that it's become broken and flawed and we're in a contest of ideas and sometimes it can be very confusing. There are ideas of great magnitude that all of us must make decisions about and as we do, Lord, we pray for wisdom on high. We believe that you're willing to provide that wisdom And I also, Lord, believe that if I will surrender my whole life into your hands, if I'll admit that I'm inadequate and and admit the times in which I've made the wrong call, that you will forgive me of those moments because of what Jesus has done and that you will remake me and make me new and actually fill me with your spirit so that I can make better decisions going forward in every area of life and also in the public square. Honor our prayer, Lord, and I pray in the next week, in the next seven days, Help us to understand this prayer has been heard. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer and walking with us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you'd like to know more about God, about Jesus, about how you can intersect with them, about how they can help inform your decisions and understanding of the world, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We're on the phone. I promise we are waiting for you to call. So anxious to hear your voice. But Jay, I know some people may not be ready just to make a phone call yet. How can they find us online? Well, I prefer this method sometimes, which is you can go online, www.cbhviewpoint.org. That's right, CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's exactly who we are. CBHviewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry. Send us an email. We will reply. Maybe you're actually listening to this conversation on a social media feed right now. If so, just send us a comment through that social media line. We're watching the feed. We'll get right back to you. Or if you prefer, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018. USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, follow us on social media, or use the post, please let us hear from you this week. Jeremy Patzer, we are so proud to be in your company. Thanks for the work you do. I know that it's exciting as you describe, but it's also got to be exhausting. Thanks for paying the price. You're absolutely welcome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time. And uh, Jay, thanks for coming alongside. Always fun to be here, Jim. And we're so glad that you have been listening. We hope you'll be with us again next week. As always, we're trying to help you see your world from heaven's view. Be encouraged. And for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministries team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, 
This is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.